Chapter 63 of The Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Boleslaw Proust. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 63. On Paofi 12, alarming news went forth from various Egyptian temples. During a few preceding days, an altar was overturned in the temple of Horus. In the temple of Isis, a statue of the goddess shed tears. In the temple of Amon at Thebes, and from a tomb of Osiris in Dendera, omens of much evil were given. The priests inferred from infallible signs that some dreadful misfortune would threaten Egypt before the month had ended. Hence Herhor and Mephres, the high priests, commanded processions around the temples and sacrifice in houses. On Paofi 13 there was a great procession in Memphis. The god Ta issued from his temple, and the goddess Isis from hers. Both divinities moved toward the center of the city with a very small assembly of believers, mainly women, but they were forced to withdraw, for Egyptians reviled them and foreigners went so far as to hurl stones at the sacred boats of the divinities. In presence of these abuses, the police bore themselves with indifference. Some of them even took part in unseemly jests. During the afternoon, unknown persons told the crowd that the priests would not permit relief to be given the people, and desired a rebellion against the pharaoh. Toward evening, laborers gathered in crowds at the temples, where they hissed the priests and abused them. Meanwhile, stones were hurled at the gate, and some criminals openly beat off the nose of Horus, who was on guard at his own entrance. A couple of hours after sunset, the high priests and their most faithful adherents assembled in the temple of Ta. The worthy Herhor was there, so were Mephres, Mentezufus, three nomarchs, and the highest judge. Terrible times, said the judge. I know to a certainty that the pharaoh wishes to rouse a rabble to attack temples. I have heard, said the nomarch of Sebes, that an order has been sent to Nidigar to hurry at the earliest with new troops, as if those here were insufficient. Communication between Upper and Lower Egypt is interrupted since yesterday, added the nomarch of Ah. On the roads are posted troops, and the galleys of His Holiness examine every barge sailing on the river. Ramesses Thirteenth is not Holiness, said Mephres dryly, for he has not received a crown from the gods yet. All this would be a trifle, said the judge. Treason is worse. We have indications that many of the younger priests are favorable to the pharaoh and inform him of everything. There are some even who have undertaken to facilitate the occupation of the temples by troops, added Herhor. Are troops to enter the temples? exclaimed the nomarch of Sebes. They have such an order, at least, for the twenty-third, replied Herhor. And dost thou speak of this, worthiness, quietly, inquired the nomarch of Ament? Herhor shrugged his shoulders, while the nomarchs exchanged glances. I do not understand this, said the nomarch of Ah, almost in anger. There are barely a few hundred warriors at the temples. Some priests are traitors. The pharaoh cuts us off from Thebes, and is rousing the people, while the worthy Herhor speaks as though we were invited to a banquet. Either let us defend ourselves, if that be still possible, or shall we yield to his holiness, inquired Mephres with irony. We shall have time for that always. But we should like to learn about means of defense, said the nomarch of Zebes. The gods will save those who are faithful to them, answered Herhor. The nomarch of Ah wrung his hands. If I am to open my heart, 
"'I must say that I, too, am astonished at thy indifference,' said the judge. "'Almost all the people are against us. "'The common people are like barley in the field. "'They incline with the wind. "'But the army? "'What army will not fall before Osiris?' "'I know,' replied the nomarch of Ah, with impatience, "'but I see neither Osiris nor that wind "'which is to turn the people toward us. "'Meanwhile the pharaoh has attached them by promises, "'and he will appear with gifts to-morrow.' fear is stronger than promises and gifts replied herhor what have they to fear those three hundred soldiers of ours they will fear osiris but where is he asked the indignant nomarch of ah ye will see him but happy the man who will be blind on that day herhor spoke with such calm solemnity that silence settled on the assembly but what shall we do asked the judge after a while the pharaoh said herhor wishes the people to attack the temple on the twenty-third we must make them attack us on the twentieth of paofi the gods live through eternity cried the nomarch of ah raising his hands but why should we bring misfortune on our heads and besides two days earlier listen to herhor said mefres with a voice of decision try by all means that the attack be made on the morning of the twentieth but if they beat us in fact inquired the judge in confusion if her horse spells fail i will call the gods to assist us replied mefres and in his eyes was an ominous glitter ah ye high priests have secrets which ye may not explain to us we will do what ye command we will cause the attack on the twentieth but remember on your heads be our blood and the blood of our children so be it so be it cried both high priests together then herhor added for ten years we have governed the state and during that time no wrong has happened to any of you and we have kept every promise so be patient and faithful for a few days ye will see the might of the gods and receive your reward the nomarchs took farewell of the high priests not trying even to hide their own grief and alarm only herhor and mefres remained after a long silence herhor said yes that lycon was good as long as he counterfeited the maniac but that it should be possible to show him instead of rameses if the mother did not detect him answered mefres the man must resemble rameses remarkably as to sitting on the throne and saying a few words to those present he will do that moreover we shall be there a terribly stupid comedian sighed herhor rubbing his forehead he is wiser than millions of other men for he has second sight and he may render the state immense service thou art speaking continually worthiness of that second sight let me convince myself of it certainly dost thou wish to do so inquired mefres well come with me but by the gods herhor mention not even before thy own heart what thou shalt witness they went beneath the temple of ta and entered a large vault where a lamp was then gleaming by the feeble light herhor saw a man sitting at a table he was eating the man wore a coat of the pharaoh's guardsman lykon said mefres the highest dignitary of the state wishes evidence of those powers with which the gods have gifted thee cursed be the day in which the soles of my feet touched your land muttered lykon pushing away a plate with food on it i should rather labor in the quarries and be beaten there will be time for that always interrupted herhor severely the greek was silent and trembled suddenly when he saw a dark crystal globe in the hand of mefres he grew pale his sight became dim 
large drops of sweat came out on his face. His eyes were fixed on one point, as if fastened to that ball of crystal. "'He is sleeping,' said Mefres. "'Is this not wonderful?' "'If he is not feigning.' "'Punch him, stick him, burn him even,' said Mefres. Herhor drew from under his white robe a dagger, and pointed it as if to strike Lycon between the eyes. But the Greek did not move. Even his eyelids did not quiver. "'Look,' said Mefres, holding the crystal up to Lycon, "'dost thou see the man who carried off Kama?' The Greek sprang from his chair, his fists were clenched, and there was saliva on his lips. "'Let me go!' cried he with a hoarse voice. "'Let me go and drink his blood!' "'Where is he now?' inquired Mefres in the villa at the side of the garden next the river a beautiful woman is with him her name is hebron and she is the wife of tutmosis added herhor confess mefres that second sight is not needed to know that mefres closed his thin lips tightly if this does not convince thee worthiness i will show something better said he at length lykon find now the traitor who is seeking the way to the treasure of the labyrinth the sleeping Greek looked for a while at the crystal intently, and answered, I see him. He is dressed in the rags of a beggar. Where is he? In the court of the last inn before the labyrinth. He will be there in the morning. How does he look? He has red hair and beard, answered Lycon. Well, inquired Mefres of Herhor. Thou hast good police, worthiness, replied Herhor. But the overseers of the labyrinth guard it poorly, said Mefres in anger. I will go there to-night with Lycon to warn the local priests, but if I succeed in saving the treasure of the gods, thou wilt permit me to become its overseer, worthiness? As thou wishest, answered Herhor with indifference, but in his heart he added, the pious Mephres begins at last to show his claws and teeth. He desires to become only overseer of the labyrinth, and his ward Lycon he would make only pharaoh, Indeed, to satisfy the greed of my assistants, the gods would have to make ten Egypts. When both dignitaries had left the vault, Herhor, in the night, returned on foot to the temple of Isis, where he had a dwelling. But Mephres commanded to make ready a couple of litters on horses. In one of these the younger priest placed the sleeping Lycon with a bag on his head. In the other the high priest himself took his place, and, surrounded by a party of horsemen, went at a sharp trot in the direction of Fayum. On the night between the fourteenth and fifteenth Paofi, the high priest Samentu, according to the promise given Rameses, entered the labyrinth by a corridor known to himself only. He had in his hand a bundle of torches, one of which was burning, and on his back he carried tools in a small basket. Samentu passed very easily from hall to hall, from corridor to corridor, pushing back with a touch stone slabs and columns, and in walls where there were secret doors. Sometimes he hesitated, but then he read mysterious signs on the walls, and compared them with signs on the beads which he bore on his neck. After a journey of half an hour he found himself in the treasure-room, whence, by pushing aside a slab in the pavement, he reached a hall in the lower story. The hall was spacious, and its ceiling rested on a number of short, thick columns. Samantu put down his basket, and, lighting two torches, began by the light of them to read inscriptions on the walls. Despite my wretched figure, declared one inscription, I am a real son of the gods, for my anger is terrible. In the open air I turn to a column of fire, and I am lightning. Confined I am thunder and destruction, and no building can resist me. 
Nothing can weaken me but sacred water which takes my force away, but my anger is roused as well by the smallest spark as by a flame. In my presence everything is twisted and broken. I am like Typhon, who overturns the highest trees and lifts rocks from their places. In one word, every temple has its secret which others do not know, thought Samantu. He opened one column and took a large pot from it. The pot had a cover sealed with wax, also an opening through which passed a long slender cord. It was unknown where this cord ended inside the column. Samentu cut off a piece, touched the torch with it, and saw that the cord gave out a hiss and burned quickly. Then with a knife he removed the cover very carefully, and saw inside the pot as it were sand and pebbles of an ashen color. He took out a couple of the pebbles, and going aside touched them with the torch. In one moment a flame burst forth, and the pebbles vanished, leaving thick smoke behind, and a disagreeable odor. Samentu took some of the ash-colored sand, poured it on the pavement, put in the middle of it a piece of the cord, which he had found at the pot, covered all with a heavy stone. Then he touched the cord with his torch. The cord burned, and after a while the stone sprang up in a flame. "'I have that son of the gods now,' said Samentu, smiling." the treasure will not be lost. He went from column to column to open slabs and take out hidden pots. In each pot was a cord which Samentu cut, the pots he left at one side. Well, said the priest, his holiness might give me half these treasures and make my son a nomarch, and surely he will do so, for he is a magnanimous sovereign. When he had rendered the lower hall safe in this way, Samentu returned to the treasure chamber and hence went to the upper hall. There also were various inscriptions on the walls, numerous columns, and in them pots provided with cords and filled with kernels which burst when fire touched them. Samentu cut the cords, removed the pots from the interior of the columns, and tied up in a rag one pinch of the sand. Then, being wearied, he sat down to rest. Six of his torches were burnt now. The night must have been nearing its end. I should never have supposed, said he to himself, that those priests had such a wonderful agent. Why, with it they could overturn Assyrian fortresses. Well, we will not tell our own pupils everything either. The wearied man fell to thinking. Now he was certain that he would hold the highest position in Egypt, a position higher than that held by Herhor. What would he do? Very much. He would secure wealth and wisdom to his posterity. He would try to gain their secrets from all the temples, and this would increase his power immensely he would secure to Egypt preeminence above Assyria. The young pharaoh jeered at the gods. That would facilitate to summon to the establishment of the worship of one god, Osiris, for example, and the union of Phoenicians, Jews, Greeks, and Libyans in one state with Egypt. Together they would make the canal to join the Red Sea and the Mediterranean. Along that canal they would build fortresses and concentrate a numerous army, all the trade with unknown nations of the Orient and the West would fall into the hands of Egyptians. They would require an Egyptian fleet and Egyptian sailors, but above all was the need to crush Assyria, which was growing each year more dangerous. It was imperative to stop priestly greed and excesses. Let priests be sages, let them have a sufficiency, but let them serve the state, instead of using it for their own profit, as at present. In the month Hator, thought Samentu, I shall be ruler of Egypt. The young lord loves women and warriors too well to labor at governing. And if he has no son, then my son, my son, 
he came to himself one more torch had burned out it was high time to leave those underground chambers he rose took his basket and left the hall above the treasure i need no assistance thought he laughing i have secured everything i alone i the despised priest of set he had passed a number of tens of chambers and corridors when he halted on a sudden it seemed to him that on the pavement of the hall to which he was going he saw a small streak of light in one moment such dreadful fear seized the man that he put out his torch but the streak of light on the pavement had vanished Salmon too strained his hearing but he heard only the throbbing of his own temples that only seemed to me said he with a trembling hand he took out of the basket a small vessel in which punk was burning slowly and he lighted the torch again i am very drowsy thought he looking around the chamber he went to a wall in which a door was hidden he pushed a nail the door did not slip back a second a third pressure no effect what does this mean thought samentu in amazement he forgot now the streak of light it seemed to him that a new thing unheard of had met him he had opened in his life so many hundreds of secret doors he had opened so many in the labyrinth that he could not understand simply the present resistance terror seized him a second time he ran from wall to wall and tried secret doors everywhere at last one opened he found himself in an immense hall filled as usual with columns his torch lighted barely a part of the space the remainder of it was lost in thick darkness the darkness the forest of columns and above all the strangeness of the hall gave the priest confidence at the bottom of his fear a spark of naive hope was roused then it seemed to him that since he did not know the place himself no one else knew it and that no man would meet him in that labyrinth he was pacified somewhat and felt that his legs were bending under him so he sat down but again he sprang up and looked around as if to learn whether danger was really threatening and whence from which of those dark corners would it come out to rush at him samentu was acquainted as no other man in egypt with subterranean places with going astray and with darkness he had passed also through many alarms in his life but that which he experienced then was something perfectly new and so terrible that the priest feared to give its own name to it at last with great effort he collected his thoughts and said if indeed i have seen a light if indeed someone has closed the doors i am betrayed in that case what death whispered a voice hidden in the bottom of his soul somewhere sweat came out on his face his breath stopped all at once the madness of fear mastered him he ran through the chamber and struck his fist against the wall seeking an exit he forgot where he was and how he had got there he lost his direction and even the power of taking bearings with the bead-string all at once he felt that in him were two persons so to speak one really bewildered the other wise and self-possessed this wise man explained to himself that all might be imagination that no one had discovered him that no one was searching and that he could escape if he could recover somewhat but the first the bewildered man would not listen to the voice of wisdom on the contrary he gained on his internal antagonist every moment oh if he could only hide in some column let them seek then surely no one would seek and no one would find him while self-command would come again to him what would happen to me here said he shrugging his shoulders if i calm myself they can chase me through the whole labyrinth 
to cut off all the roads there would have to be many thousand persons and to indicate what cell i am in a miracle would be needed but let us suppose that they seize me then what i will take this little vial here put it to my lips and in one moment i shall flee away so that no one could catch me not even a divinity but in spite of reasonings such terrible fear seized the man again that he put out the torch a second time and trembling his teeth chattering he pushed up to one of the columns how is it possible how could i decide to come in here thought samentu had i not food to eat a place on which to lay my head it is a simple thing i am discovered the labyrinth has a multitude of overseers as watchful as dogs and only a child or an idiot would think of deceiving them property power where is the treasure for which it would be worth while for a man to give one day of his life and here i a man in the bloom of existence have exposed myself it seemed to him that he heard heavy knocking he sprang up and in the depth of the chamber he saw a gleam of light yes a real gleam of light not an illusion at a distant wall somewhere at the end stood an open door through which at that moment armed men were coming in carefully with torches at sight of this the priest felt a chill in his feet in his heart in his head he doubted no longer that he was not merely discovered but hunted and surrounded who could have betrayed him of course only one man the young priest of set whom he had acquainted minutely enough with his purposes the traitor if alone would have had to look almost a month for the way to the treasure but if he had agreed with the overseers they might in one day track out some in two at that moment the high priest felt the impressions known only to men who are looking at death face to face he ceased to fear since his imagined alarms had now vanished before real torches not only did he regain self-command but he felt immensely above everything living in a short time he would be threatened no longer by danger of any sort the thoughts flew through his head with lightning clearness and speed he took in the whole of his existence his toils his perils his hopes his ambitions and all of those seemed to him a trifle for what would it serve him to be at that moment the pharaoh or to own every treasure in all kingdoms they were vanity dust and even worse an illusion death alone was almighty and genuine meanwhile the torch-bearers were examining columns most carefully and also every corner they had passed through half the immense hall samentu saw even the points of their lances and noted that the men hesitated and advanced with alarm and repulsion a few steps behind them was another group of persons to whom one torch gave light samentu did not even feel aversion toward them he was only curious as to who could have betrayed him but even that point did not concern him overmuch for incomparably more important then seemed the question why must he die and why had he been brought into existence for with death present as a fact a whole lifetime is shortened into one painful minute even though that life were the longest of all and the richest in experience why was he alive for what purpose he was sobered by the voice of one of the armed men there is no one here and cannot be they halted samentu felt that he loved those men and his heart thumped within him the second group of persons came up among them there was a discussion how can even thou worthiness suppose that someone has entered asked a voice quivering with anger all the entrances are guarded especially now and even if anyone stole in 
it would be only to die here of hunger but worthiness see how this lycon bears himself answered another voice the sleeping man looks all the time as if he felt an enemy near him lycon thought samentu ah that greek who is like the pharaoh what do i see mefres has brought him at this moment the sleeping greek rushed forward and stopped at the column behind which samentu was hidden the armed men ran after him and the gleam of their torches threw light on the dark figure of samentu who is here cried with a hoarse voice the leader samentu stood forth the sight of him made such a powerful impression that the torch-bearers withdrew he might have passed out between them so terrified were they and no one would have detained him but the priest thought no longer of rescue well has my man with second sight been mistaken said mefres pointing at his victim there is the traitor samentu approached him with a smile and said i recognize thee by that cry mefres when thou canst not be a cheat thou art merely an idiot those present were astounded samentu spoke with calm irony though it is true that at this moment thou art both cheat and fool a cheat for thou art trying to persuade the overseers of the labyrinth that this villain has the gift of second sight and a fool for thou thinkest that they believe thee better tell them that in the temple of ta there are detailed plans of the labyrinth that is a lie cried mefres ask those men whom they believe thee or me i am here because i found plans in the temple of set thou hast come by the grace of the immortal ta concluded samentu laughing bind that traitor and liar cried mefres samentu moved back a couple of steps drew forth quickly from under his garment a vial and said while raising it to his lips mefres thou wilt be an idiot till death thou hast wit only when it is a question of money he placed the vial between his lips and fell to the pavement the armed men rushed to the priest and raised him but he had slipped through their fingers already let him stay here like others said the overseer of the labyrinth the whole retinue left the hall and closed the doors carefully soon they issued forth from the edifice when the worthy mefres found himself in the court he commanded the priest to make ready the mounted litters and rode away with the sleeping lycon to memphis the overseers of the labyrinth dazed by the uncommon events looked now at one another and now at the escort of mefres which was disappearing in a yellow dust cloud i cannot believe said the chief overseer that in our days there was a man who could break into the labyrinth your worthiness forgets that this day there were three such interrupted one of the younger priests looking askance at him ah uh, a true answered the high priest have the gods disturbed my reason said he rubbing his forehead and pressing the amulet on his breast and two have fled added the younger priest why didst thou not turn my attention to that in the labyrinth burst out the superior i did not know that things would turn out as they have woe is on my head cried the high priest not chief should i be at this edifice but gatekeeper we were warned that someone was stealing in but now we have let out two of the most dangerous who will bring now whomever it may please them oh woe thou hast no need worthiness to despair said another priest our law is explicit send four or six of our men to memphis and provide them with sentences the rest will be their work i have lost my reason complained the high priest what has happened is over interrupted the young priest with irony one thing is certain that men who not only reach the vaults 
but even walk through them as through their own houses, may not live. Then select six from our militia. Of course, it is necessary to end this, confirmed the overseers. Who knows if Mefres did not act in concert with the most worthy Herhor, whispered someone. Enough, exclaimed the high priest. If we find Herhor in the labyrinth, we will act as the law direct. But to make guesses or suspect, anyone is not permitted. Let the secretaries prepare sentences for Mefres and Lycon. Let those chosen hurry after them, and let the militia strengthen the watch. We must also examine the interior of the edifice and discover how Saman too got into it, though I am sure that he will have no followers in the near future. A couple of hours later, six men had set out for Memphis. End of chapter 63. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.